Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's get to our guest. Clara Chung is with us, uh, global market strategist at JP Morgan. She's on the line from Singapore. Clara, thanks for being with us. Let's begin with a look at what happened in the Treasury market today because we had a massive move lower in yields across the U.S. curve. A lot of weak economic data is beginning to filter through, and I'm wondering whether or not you read this as a sign that perhaps the Fed down the road, not right now, but down the road can be uh, in a position to take its foot off the, uh, off the accelerator, if I can use that term, in terms of uh, hiking rates. Yeah, hey, good morning. Well, we certainly hope so, uh, but you know, as for now, I think inflation still remains relatively high. And you know, to your point about uh, the Treasury yield move, um, it really is a reflection of uh, the market pricing in a much higher probability of recession. Given that, you know, from what we know, the central banks are very committed to fighting this problem, especially um, in the developed world like the U.S. and in Europe, for example. And as a result, we are starting to see some cracks uh, in economic data. So it's clear that, for one, the higher mortgage rates are starting to hurt uh, things like the housing market and the seen home builder confidence really missing expectations and also uh, existing home sales really fall into two-year lows. So hopefully as we get more and more data that comes in that starts to show that, okay, demand is indeed uh, waning, then that can give the Fed a little bit more ammunition to kind of step back a little as inflation kind of eases towards the end mm. of the year. Clara, you talk about cracks there, and you're talking about the, the mortgage rates as well. We were just talking to a previous guest about renters, too, facing these higher prices. Do you think that we could already be in a recession? And if not, when we do potentially face one, how deep could that be? Yeah, I think... We're not in a recession right now, and we probably will not be in one for the rest of the year. Uh, the reason why I say that is because if you look at the labor market, for example, it still remains quite strong uh, with you know unemployment rate in the low threes, and the consumer uh, is also another bright spot. And you know, corporate balance sheets are also reasonably healthy. So you know, to your question about even if we do get a recession, like how deep can it be? Our base case is that it's not going to be as severe as the one that we saw in 2020 or in the great financial crisis because the consumer is quite resilient this time and the consumer is two-thirds of the U.S. economy. The ECB threw the uh, foreign exchange a bit of a curveball today with that uh, 50 basis point rate hike and in turn helped to weaken the dollar a bit. But as you well know, Clara, the dollar has been on an enormous rally here and I'm wondering whether or not, given everything you're saying, 
there could be more dollar strength before there's dollar weakness. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think there are two really key reasons as to why the dollar is so strong this year, despite the overvaluation. The first being the hawkish Fed, and secondly, the dollar is really very much a safe haven currency. And if you look at what has happened on a year-to-date basis with weaker economic growth and sentiment uh, in the rest of the world, the dollar uh, has really been you know, a safe haven asset where investors have kind of uh, sought shelter in. So as long as we continue to see uncertainty in the market, which we believe we will, mm-hmm. uh, the dollar can remain quite strong in the shorter term. Let's talk about your outlook for China equities. We do have uh, Goldman Sachs reducing their MSCI China index 12-month target, but staying overweight on China A-shares. And that's a theme that we're hearing from a lot of uh, analysts as well in terms of this reopening theme. But there's still a lot of concern too about the property sector. How are you viewing the second half? Um, so I think there are many reasons to be cautiously optimistic on Chinese equities, especially in the second half uh, of, of this year. And you know, to your point, the economic rebound is obvious uh, in the numbers. And we're starting to also see the government uh, really stepping up additional stimulus measures, like the infrastructure plan. Uh, and the regulatory environment has also shifted from one that's been very draconian to a lot more accommodative this year. And we think that, you know, against that backdrop, it can really facilitate a valuation re-rating um, in, in both the A-share as well as the offshore Chinese equity market. You know, it was interesting because uh, the commercial banks in China held the uh, prime loan rates uh, steady this week. That wasn't that surprising given the decision by the PBOC to hold firm on the key policy rates. But I'm wondering whether or not the PBOC wants to first see, before it begins to address the issue of additional stimulus, what the Fed ends up doing. Is that fair? Yeah, well, I, I do think that for them, um, they're more focused domestically. Uh, and there's a lot of things that they're looking at at the moment that they have to contain. So the first being you know, the COVID uh, situation continues to remain relatively fluid. And um, we've seen like really encouraging signs that they've gone from really um, extreme measures of locking down full cities to now, you know, really... Um, learning to live with it and, and you know, locking down uh, the, the portions of the cities that have been affected. Uh, and also on top of that, um, we have the China mortgage uh, situation where um, a lot of the home buyers have started to you know, not want to pay their mortgages for incompleted buildings. Um, so, you know, the government also has to deal with that as well. So I think, you know, it's more of like, using a combination of like their fiscal and monetary policy tools to manage uh, what's more important in the domestic economy versus uh, really looking at what the Fed is doing. You do say a shift away from DM where there are more earnings risks to Asia X Japan. I know you've just discussed the China story there, but where else are you looking, particularly on the recovery theme? Yeah, I think besides China, we do really like uh, Asia X Japan uh, outside of China as well, just because you know places like ASEAN is continuing to reopen, and we should really start to see a handover from the really export-oriented recovery that we've seen over the last two years to one that's more service-oriented and more domestic demand-oriented. Um, so you know, 
given that it's also derated very significantly and that earnings expectations are so low in Asia and Japan, we think the probability of uh, companies being able to beat those earnings and deliver uh, good returns on a forward-looking basis is, is looking quite favorable. We were talking earlier about uh, Beijing finding DD Global more than $1.2 billion. It's the end of uh, a year-long probe. Do you believe the worst is over, and would you be a buyer of some of these consumer-facing uh, Chinese tech names? Yeah, I think it's it's a good it's a step in the right direction, uh, and it relates back to my point earlier about the regulatory environment really shifting from a really draconian uh, approach to one that's a lot more accommodative. And in fact, the fine. Uh, was you know, really taken to be like the best case scenario uh, as a slap on the hand you know, for for operating in the way that they, they had. Uh, but in terms of um, sectors that we do like uh, at the moment, because there are still risks uh, in the China economic growth story, we continue to actually prefer uh, subsectors that we know for sure have like strong policy support from the government. So things, mm. things like renewable energy, the decarbonization theme, as well yeah. as you know, shift to more uh, high-end semiconductor manufacturing. So those are mm. the sectors that we would prefer. All right, Clara, thank you for your insights. Clara Chong is Global Market Strategist at JP Morgan on the line from Singapore for us here on Daybreak Asia. And this is Bloomberg. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.